this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Thank God that as we look at the world and as we look at the madness of the world, thank God we not only have hope that someday in the future it's all going to be sorted out because Jesus is going to come back, but we right now can experience the kingdom on a personal level. And we cannot forget that. And the manifestation of the kingdom today is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 in a message titled, The Reign of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As I said, it shall be called the city of truth. It is anything but that today. Wherever you go in the city today, you find it's just uh, infected with, with deceit and with lies and with false religion. As a matter of fact, the UN has uh, recently referred to the, what is called the Temple Mount, the place where the Jewish temple originally stood. The UN no longer refers to that as the Temple Mount, but they refer to it as the Al-Aqsa Mount. And what they're saying is that they do not acknowledge any Jewish presence in that place in ancient times. They're dating it back to the mosque in the the late 600s, and they're now referring to it as, you know, one of the, the UN is referring to it as one of the the ancient holy sites of Islam without any acknowledgement of Israel's uh, previous existence there at that place. So this is the kind of lying and deceit not to mention the false religion that's there. But also I look at the passage here in Zechariah where he speaks of the beautiful situation of the streets being full of boys and girls and so forth. And of course today we know that in many of the places in the land that is, it's not really possible because it's not safe. And even as we walk the streets of Jerusalem, you know, you can't help but have the thought cross your mind that you know, somebody could come out with a suicide vest on and just blow themselves up here because that happens. It happens all too often. But it won't happen in the future because Christ will set up his kingdom. And so Israel inherits the land that was promised to them. The throne of David is established. You see, God gave a promise to David that one of his descendants would sit upon the throne and would rule over the house of Jacob. And as a matter of fact, that promise was communicated to Mary by Gabriel in Luke chapter two, that he would, uh, or Luke chapter one, that he would sit upon the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. And that's exactly what's going to happen as Isaiah predicted For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You're familiar with that passage perhaps, Isaiah 9, 6. But then it goes on to say in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Sitting upon the throne of David, Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five and six. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So the promises Israel inherits the promises, the throne of David is established, and then Jerusalem becomes the capital of the world. It's so fascinating to think of that. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world in the future. Listen to what it says in the prophet Micah, chapter four, verses one and two. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You wonder why that is the most contested piece of real estate on the planet? It's because it's going to be the world's capital with Christ sitting upon the throne of David. You know, when you look at the current situation, to me, it's just, it's all just confirmation that everything that the Bible says is true. It doesn't make any sense from any other perspective. I mean, when you go to Jerusalem today, it's great because of the, you know, the historical aspects of it and all of that. But look, there are a lot of way better cities to pick. If you want to pick a city to fight over, I could think of a dozen better ones. But the contention for this little piece of real estate is astounding. And to me, it only supports what the Bible says. There's no other sensible explanation than it is God's chosen place to establish his kingdom. And the devil has opposed it and does oppose it and will oppose it until he is incarcerated as he is in relation to the passages that we're reading here. And so Jerusalem becomes the capital of the world, and then Jerusalem's temple becomes the center of worship for all the nations. When God had, the, the temple was established, built by Solomon, planned by David. Remember, God said about it that it was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And it will become that. It will be the center of worship for all the nations. Listen to Zechariah chapter six, verses 12 and 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Zechariah 14, 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So we see that Jerusalem's temple will become the center for worship for all nations. Now, there is no temple in Jerusalem today. 
But there is what is called the Temple Institute. And it's very interesting. There's a group of people in the land today who so strongly believe that the temple needs to be rebuilt, that they have made preparation for when it is built for the whole worship ritual to be reinstated. They have gone back and done all of the research on what the furnishings of the temple look like, and they have made replicas of those. They have uh, made replicas of the priestly garment, the high priest clothing, and so forth. And in this place called the, the Temple Institute, you can go, and they will show you all of the things that they've made in preparation. Then they will also show you the uh, model of the temple that they plan to see built. We didn't go to the Temple Institute this year. Uh, we were there last year, though. And as we were sitting, listening to the person give their, um, you know, give us, give us the details on what they're all about and what they're planning to do. And as they were talking about the temple, I noticed that they were, they were using as their basis for the construction of the new temple, they were using Herod's temple as the model, and they were using the rabbinical writings for all of the information on the details. And so I asked them the question, I said, now, why are you doing that since you have all of the information for Solomon's temple already laid out in the scriptures? And they said, well, we prefer Herod's temple, and we think the rabbinical writers are more detailed, so we're using them. And I said, okay, well, what about the Messiah? Because based on this passage that we just read in Zechariah, I said, the scripture says Messiah is going to rebuild the temple. And this is literally what the person said to me. They said, you know, we don't know what the Messiah is doing. We don't know if he's coming, if he's not coming, but we're not gonna sit around and wait for him. <laughs> That's what they said. They said, we gotta get this temple built. This temple is gonna unite us. This temple is gonna, you know, give us a legitimacy in the land. And, you know, if the Messiah comes along, sure, he can help. I mean, you know, we could use all the help we can get, but we're not, we're not that concerned about that. Uh, you know, needless to say, I was pretty astounded at the, the candid response there. But that's the mentality today. The Jews see the temple as a national rallying point and as a place where the nations can come and worship. It's interesting that more people than the Jews have that same idea about some kind of a future structure there in the land. The UN thinks in that same way. But you see, they're right in one sense because they talk about the third temple and this will be the third temple. But what we just read about here is not the third temple, it's the fourth temple. Because the third temple that has not yet been built that will be built either by the, um, I don't think it'll be built directly by the Antichrist, but it will be, built by his permission or perhaps by funding, that temple will be destroyed during the tribulation. That's the temple that they will resume the sacrifices in. And that's the temple that ultimately the false prophet will, will have the image of the beast placed there in that temple. That temple will be destroyed. But Jesus, according to Zechariah, the man whose name is the branch, that's a reference to the Lord, he shall build the temple and he shall bear the glory. So when the Lord comes back, he is going to build the temple. He's going to build the legitimate temple. 
So Jerusalem's temple will be the center of worship for all nations. And then fifthly, Israel will be chief among the nations. God had promised to the people of Israel, if they obeyed him, they would be the head of the nations. If they rebelled against him, they would be the tail. They have been the tail. But God's promise to them is that they will once again be the head of the nations. But when we talk about that, we need to understand and be clear that we're not talking about Israel in its current situation. We're not talking about the Israeli government as we know it today. I mean, obviously, they're corrupt human beings, just like every other government of every other nation. And there's all kinds of problems with that government and so forth. And today, when we talk about things like Israel becoming the chief uh, among the nations, we need to make sure that we're being clear that this is in the time when Jesus, the Messiah, is ruling over them, and they have all been brought under his authority and are acting in accordance with his ways and his will and purpose. But Israel will be the chief among the nations. According to Isaiah 49, 22 and 23, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lift up my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. And then Zechariah 8:23. thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from every language of the nations will grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So these are the promises that are yet to be realized. And this is what Jesus will do when he comes back. He will set up the Davidic kingdom. But it will also affect the entire planet, the environment, the social conditions. We know from Isaiah chapter 11 that righteousness and equity and all of those things that we long for in society, those will be the norm for the kingdom. But there will be environmental, social transformation. Isaiah 11, 6 through 10, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the viper's den. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cobra's hole. They shall not destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah 35, five through seven, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And then finally from Isaiah 65, it says this, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old. 
but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the kingdom that's coming. This is the kingdom age. This is the millennium. And it is the perfect world. It's the world that man has dreamed of but never been able to attain. Jesus will establish this reign over the earth when he returns. And yet, astoundingly, there will be a disruption. After 1,000 years, the devil will be released from the prison and he will gather an innumerable army. You know, it is often said today that the problems with people have to do with their environment, has to do with their lack of education and all of these different things. But you're going to have people that lived in a perfect environment, a perfect world, but still the rebellion will be there. So there's a last revolt. Then after that, there's a final judgment. And then after that comes the eternal state. And that's what Revelation 21 and 22 are about. They give us a, a glimpse into the eternal state. And so we'll look in detail at those things. But as we close today, here's what we need to keep in mind. The kingdom that's coming that we're talking about here has already come in one sense. And we cannot lose sight of that. The kingdom has come to every individual person who bows the knee and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus came the first time, now Jesus, of course, knew everything. He knew that he was going to be rejected. He knew that the kingdom in its fullest sense, like we've been talking about, would not be established at the time. He knew all of that, but he went about announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because even though it would not be manifested in its fullest sense at his first coming, there was another sense in which it would be manifested in the individual life. And thank God that as we look at the world and as we look at the madness of the world that we live in, thank God we not only have hope that someday in the future it's all going to be sorted out because Jesus is going to come back, but we right now can experience the kingdom on a personal level. And we cannot forget that. And the manifestation of the kingdom today is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said, when the religious leaders of the day said, you know, show us the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom will not come with observation. And he was talking about at that present time. He said, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. He was there among them. And wherever he is king, that's where the kingdom of God is. So today, we who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we've already entered the kingdom. And that should be the thing that gives us the encouragement, that gives us the hope, that gives us the peace, that gives us even the joy in the midst of the collapse 
of the kingdoms of this world that we are observing presently. The world is a mess. And you know, there, in previous times, there was, you know, there was always some sort of place of refuge. There was a place of escape. You could get away possibly from the oppression and you can go to a land of freedom or something like that. You know, those places are becoming few and far between today. And in what has been historically called the land of the free and the home of the brave, we're not as free as we think, are we? And we see that oppression increasing and all of those kinds of things that we have been to some degree freed from, but those things can be very troubling. But if we keep remembering that we're already part of a kingdom, a kingdom that can't be overthrown, a kingdom that can't be stopped, a kingdom that's marked by righteousness and peace and joy, that's how God wants us living today. You know, when I was in the Middle East this past couple of weeks, I was thinking about the people of Israel. I was thinking about the people of Jordan. Of course, in Israel, you've got the dominance of the Jewish religious system, which is just essentially rules, legalism. And you go over into Jordan and you have Islam there. And it's, it's just another manifestation of the same thing. And you think of all of these people living in under this spiritual oppression and it translates itself into a lot of oppression on just the, the regular daily level. But then thinking also that, you know, all throughout these places, there are little pockets of the kingdom of God. There are places where people have found the truth of the gospel and they've given their lives to Christ and they've experienced the righteousness, peace, and joy. And they're there, these little flickering lights and they're holding forth hope. You know, I heard the story of this one Palestinian young man who went off from Israel to Jordan to study in a university and of all places, he gets saved at the university in Jordan. And he's met up with some of our believing friends over there. And they were telling me about him. I didn't even get the chance to meet him. But as they were describing him, he's just this amazingly on fire, excited young man who just can't believe that he's met Jesus. And to me, that's the hope. That's what the gospel does. And so we, the ones who are presently part of the kingdom, we can't lose sight of that. We already know that there's no man is ever going to set up a righteous kingdom on the earth. Jesus will do it. And we need to remember that he will do it, but he's already done it partially. He's done it for us personally. The kingdom will come and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But until that happens, let's live in the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit that... God has given us today in this phase of the kingdom. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite topics is history, and church history is a part of that. 
I've read many church history books, and I recently read a fantastic book by an author named John Dixon, and the book is called Bullies and Saints. And the subtitle is An Honest Look at the Good and Evil in Christian History. And John is an Australian. He is an apologist. He is also a historian, and he does an excellent job at looking at both the good and the bad things in church history. So if you're into history, I think knowing church history is important for Christians. I highly recommend Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon. You can order the book Bullies and Saints by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Bullies and Saints by John Dixon to help you understand both the good and bad historical contributions of Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.